please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. So it was a, I even know the exact date. It was uh, November 6th of 2017 and a drunken suicide attempt. I was trying to start facing all the things that had happened to me, um, found that those coping mechanisms that I had learned in that intensive outpatient were not really that helpful <laughs> for what I was trying to do. Um, I was also working at a job actually in a mental health clinic as an administrative assistant that was very triggering. It was a really difficult job and it was it was a really stressful job too and that's and from talking to other people who worked there at the time including therapists and psychiatrists that I'm friends with which is weird as a mentally ill person. Yeah, I was I was working in this place that was super triggering. I started drinking more and more. Um, I just didn't have any real outside support. And then, as I mentioned, I had I kind of out of the blue contact from an abusive ex, who instead of who had changed his name too, so like completely changed his name, first and last. And so I, I got this Facebook message from some random guy, asked who it was, and instead of telling me, he sent a picture of his face with this like really stoic, serious um, expression. <laughs> and I flipped and I just, I spiraled and ended up quitting that job and spending all day and night drinking instead, <laughs> and which culminated in a suicide attempt. So I actually ended up calling 911 myself. Um, my boyfriend at the time was at work um, and police came and got me and took me to the hospital. So I spent like four or five days in the hospital at that point um, and then actually went back a week later. <laughs> Um, and spent another like six there at that point. So that was like the month of being in the hospital. Um, and a couple weeks after I got out of the hospital, I actually went into residential treatment for only a few weeks, but that was all insurance issues and that lovely stuff. It was a lot more helpful than, I, than the first time. And actually that was number four four and five. <laughs> um, yeah, there were a couple more back um, in between there. Actually, one was earlier in 2017, and it was a lot more helpful. Um, I was admitted to a newer hospital that had a different approach. It wasn't just sit in your room and go to group therapy for, you know, an hour 
for the day and then that's all you do. It was actually like very structured and immersive and we did like art therapy and music therapy and they even had therapy dogs come in, which was pretty awesome, I gotta admit. Um, so those, those at least helped stabilize me and I actually made some friends that I still have now. My name is Kate and uh, my diagnoses are complex PTSD, major depressive disorder, and I'm currently in recovery from alcohol use. I was first diagnosed with depression at 13. Um, technically, complex PTSD is not a diagnosis yet. It's not in any of the um, in the DSM, but I was diagnosed with PTSD about two years ago. So officially, I have PTSD, no complex, because it doesn't exist. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Complex generally refers to um, long-term, usually childhood abuse, things like that, but it really applies to anything that's more than a single event. Um, and it manifests differently, like with, it's, it's kind of like halfway between borderline personality disorder and classic PTSD. So like I have difficulty with figuring out my identity, um, a lot of relationship issues, but that's more isolation rather than the, the rocky relationships that happen with borderline, um, and I've, I've really had it suggested that I had some trauma for ever, <laughs> like since I've been in therapy at 14, but I always resisted it until about two or three years ago when I, I finally decided I wanted to accept that it wasn't just depression and there might be something else going on. I was in therapy at the time, um, and... My therapist asked, uh, asked me to go into an intensive outpatient program and basically do learn some coping skills to be able to handle trauma therapy before I really started digging into all of the stuff that was in my past. It's kind of like vague and difficult to describe childhood trauma. Um, my mom has borderline personality disorder, and so she would switch from I love you, you're perfect, you're the most wonderful thing in the world, to I hate you, I wish you were never born. Um, I also had a moderate amount of physical abuse as a child and teenager coming from my mom and my older brother. Uh, and then I had a couple of abusive relationships a little bit later on as an adult as well. I tried therapy, but the thing with sharing a therapist with your abusive mother doesn't work so well. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I, I tried therapy for a few sessions, did not go back for several years, 
after that and really just stuck with meds for a while. I was hospitalized for a period of time um, in high school, but again, like I didn't really stick with anything after that aside from meds. My therapist told me to start looking into residential treatment programs. Um, at that time, despite the fact that I was drinking heavily enough to earn myself an alcohol use disorder diagnosis, um, no one was really that concerned about my drinking at the time um, it, because it was so tied in with the trauma and the therapy that... Um, it was a getting past the the trauma stuff was a bigger concern so i actually ended up finding a finding a residential treatment facility in tennessee that focused on trauma and mental health rather than just substance use which was harder than you would think actually most of them are primarily aimed at substance abuse I have a lot of trouble with relationships. Um, I don't trust anyone, like just flat out I don't. Even my current partner who I live with, I don't trust fully. Just realize he's probably gonna be listening to this, but he knows that, so. Um, I like, I just, I flat out don't, don't trust anyone. I have a, I can't build relationships beyond surface level. Um, I have a really difficult time being vulnerable. And just being able to have those, those real connected human relationships seems like kind of a fairy tale to me, but I would love it if it's possible for that to happen. I also still have pretty bad depressive episodes, so getting getting those under better control, though they're a lot better than they used to be. Um, getting those under control would also be very nice. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> like, I know that it's caused by not being able to trust my family and I've never like really been in a relationship or my early relationships, I was completely betrayed by my partners. So opening myself up to that again is next to impossible. Um, so, like, I, I know the right answer. I know the, like, cause and effect, but I, I can't really say why I can't just be like, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable right now, and I'm going to actually trust you. There's still that little voice in my head that says that everything is my fault, always, 100% of the time, and I don't like it when people prove that to me. Um, which, which I know it's not actually <laughs> proof there, but that's the way my disordered brain interprets it as like, I do something wrong, therefore I am awful and everything is my fault and the world sucks because I'm in it. I've actually been thinking about this for a while now, but I, I really haven't had an aha moment. Um, I've definitely improved 
uh, if I had to pick one particular moment, it was a realization of a of a trauma that happened when I was fairly young, when I was 11 or 12, and um, I had, I don't know if it's suppression or I just forgot about it or I didn't want to think about it, but it came out when I was in Tennessee while I was just laying in bed trying to go to sleep, and I actually told my therapy group the next morning and like, ugly crying and not everywhere. <laughs> it was not pretty, but that was probably the most vulnerable I've ever been with a person. And it actually happened with a whole group of other women. <laughs> so if, if I, if I picked something, it would be that moment is having that realization and actually telling someone like honestly and vulnerably. I got a good response out of the other uh, the other patients and out of the therapist in that group, um, and I think I just I've started being okay with telling more of my story at that point. Um, up until then, even in therapy and in groups, I'd never. Like, I'd never told anyone about the details of what had happened, um, partially because it goes through my brain that it's it's not that bad. Um, so I think it was, it was more an acceptance of the fact that this happened and it is still affecting me to this day, even 20 years later. I think part of it is definitely my mom's diagnosis um, and her rapidly switching between I love you, I hate you kind of thing. Um, and she actually denies her diagnosis at this point, and she has improved a lot since um, since I was young. And but I, yeah, that was that was a lot of it. Um, Another thing that she did was convinced my brother and I that our dad, who um, they they divorced when I was two, my brother was four, and I she convinced us that our dad hated us and he didn't want us. Um, he also has three older kids, so it was uh, it, it kind of planted in my mind this like I we were just the mistakes like my my older brother and sisters are are the ones they actually wanted <laughs> that kind of thing and none of this is actually true like my dad's a teddy bear i i love my dad <laughs> i just i didn't spend a whole lot of time with him when i was younger because i thought he hated me and my mom's favorite threat starting when i was probably 12 or 13 was you're going to go live with your dad now and like to the point of loading up the car and driving me and dropping me at his office um and she did it with my brother too <laughs> um yeah he he dealt with it in an entirely different way than i did um i i kind of internalized it and made it like i'm not good enough i will never be good enough and i need to make it up and be the peacekeeper and the fixer um my brother 
turned to anger and substance abuse. So he was using by some time in middle school. Um, although now he is also doing a lot better. He's he is a three year old little girl and is as as far as I know is completely sober and is turned into a pretty awesome dad. So. in my room a lot um but I I did obviously I eventually learned that my dad is not that person that my mom made him out to be like she had she had so many stories about him like getting drunk and pulling a gun on her which I've never seen my dad well okay I've seen him drunk on New Year's Eve but that's about it and he's like a goofy happy drunk not a pull a gun on your wife drunk um so it, I was already at this point starting to trust him, especially because he, he's an MD and he was actually the one who got me my first meds. Um, and that, that was his response to me saying, hey, I'm depressed and things are not going well versus my mom's response was to either yell, cry, blame me, guilt trip me, or drop me at the door of the hospital, which happened several times more than I was actually hospitalized. <laughs> Hospitalization too was, I had just given up and I was for once blatantly honest with my psychiatrist who said, yeah, you're not leaving. <laughs> Like, sorry, <laughs> you're, you're staying. Um, and then number number three was actually also in 2017. That was a that was quite a year. Um, after I kind of started accepting my PTSD diagnosis, um, that was a a difficult transition because I I also blamed myself for that. <laughs> In my experience, I think the biggest thing that really allowed me to accept that was finding a community of people with that same diagnosis. And I found them on Reddit. <laughs> um, just like I found you on Reddit. <laughs> I spend too much time on Reddit. So there is actually a CPTSD or complex PTSD subreddit um with like 25,000 people in it and the things that they that they describe on there including feelings of like it's really not that bad like i'm blowing this out of proportion really resonated with me and helped explain some of the symptoms that don't strictly line up with depression um and just seeing myself in other people was a was a moment of oh my god i think i know this is the right one <laughs> cuz i like i have cycled through so many diagnoses i i mean first one was adhd but it was the 90s and everyone was diagnosed with adhd 
um, to panic disorder, to there was a little obsessive compulsive disorder in there. There was some bipolar too. Like it's been just all over the place. Um, and this one really felt like I could actually relate to everything on that checklist. And it also explained why I wasn't getting better with the conventional treatments for depression. Um, and why I had these other symptoms that were not quite fitting in. I don't have a local community. Um, I've kind of fallen back into the no one really knows about it. Like, some people do. I have friends that I still interact with who know I'm sober, who know that, know what my diagnosis is, um, who've even visited me in the hospital. Like, like that's, it, we don't talk about it. At this point in my life, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm functioning. <laughs> like, I'm functioning as a real person. <laughs> Which, I, yeah, I'm, so I, I really don't have that community. And I, I've kind of fallen away from the online community because it, it gets triggering, too. And that's not <laughs> always helpful but I always know I can go back there if I need the support. Um, I also went to AA for a while and did not find that at all helpful. Um, I forgot to mention this one because I've got all sorts of little traumas, but I also had a fair amount of religious abuse in my marriage. Um, so the... The religious part of AA and I do not get along at all. Um, I also don't strictly agree with their abstinence for life policy. <laughs> AA has these these 12 steps, which everyone has heard the, the 12 steps. And the first is to admit that you are powerless over alcohol. Um, and that was that was my first my first problem is that I wasn't powerless over alcohol. I was powerless over my trauma. And I was using alcohol to avoid it. So it wasn't that alcohol was controlling my life. It was that my trauma was controlling my life. Um, and then the, the second... I don't remember the steps exactly off the top of my head anymore. But the second has to do with God. And you can define God however you want or your higher power, or whatever it is, I am no longer a religious person. Um, my therapist in Tennessee suggested I look at it as God is good orderly direction. But even that, like, didn't feel right. It, it didn't feel right or real to me. Um, and I did not want to give up any more of my power than... I already have like I that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with is feeling like I am powerless over everything in my life and I don't want to give up anymore so that combined with just the very churchy feel of it like the the prayers and it it ended up being really triggering and every time I left a meeting I wanted to go to a bar so I stopped going A lot of people don't recognize that marital rape is just as traumatizing 
Like, just because you're married to someone doesn't mean that you're required to have sex with them. So I just, I want to give a little disclaimer that it, it deals a fair amount with sex. Um, yeah, I've, I've alluded to the fact that a good chunk of my trauma is sexual, too. But um, just to put that out there, <laughs> that's a, that was a big part of it. Um, so I actually joined the church at 17 when a friend of mine did the same, a friend who has now also left the church um, because she found, she found some help with her own diagnosis in it. Um, and I dove in head first, like I tend to do with things and just went all out. Like I have religious tattoos even that I'm hoping to get removed one of these days. <laughs> but I, so I was going to church and really involved in um, any sort of things. I was in all these, all these sort of religious things, uh, doing childcare for services. I was in a worship band for a while. And I, um, I met a good friend of mine through the organization to write love on her arms, which I look like you're fairly familiar with, um, who I started going to Campus Crusade for Christ at his school with him where I, and this is a friend that I am still friends with to this day. Um, and in that meeting, I met my now ex-husband um, who was far more conservative and, um, fundamental than I was. Um, I did not realize until literally our wedding day that he was Pentecostal, which means speaking in tongues, laying hands. So I was, um, the more mild stuff was I was healed, healed air quotes. <laughs> um, I was given prophecy. Um, I yeah, that, that, that church was, was a trip. Um, and then the, the abuse part came in when he, my ex-husband had expectations for my behavior that I did not agree with. Um, our marriage counseling consisted of meeting with an older couple from our church who told us that based on this one verse in the Bible, essentially he was in charge of me. Um, and that it was his job to love me and my job to respect him. And that respect involved sleeping without a shirt on, um, involved having sex a certain number of times per week, and thank goodness I did not get pregnant. That would have made <laughs> this a much, uh, much more difficult thing to get out of, um, and ended up with him actually tying me down and raping me uh, shortly before I left. And 
this was not the first sexually abusive relationship I had been in. Um, so I, but it was very different. So I didn't quite see the warning signs again, but I did get out after that, that first time that I would call actually being raped. I was not allowed to work when I was married. Um, so I had no income. I had no job. Um, I had been going to school on and off, but I had no degree at that point. So I just, I had nothing at that point. And it was, I didn't even have the concept of women's shelters. And even if I had at that point, I wouldn't have thought I qualified because I wasn't being physically beaten in that relationship. So it, it really felt like my only option was to either stay with my ex-husband or go back home to my mom. I would rather be physically beaten. I would find that a lot easier to deal with. Um, it, it hurts every part of you. It, it's, it's that proof that you deserve this and you are bad and you just, you don't deserve love or affection or trust and that this is all your fault, not, it's not on the person who's actually doing the abusing, it's on you because you deserved it because you are an awful person. And with the physical side, with, with the physical abuse, like, at least you can say this is not right. Like, this might be happening to me, but it's, it shouldn't be. Like, this is a problem with them versus with the emotional beatings. I like how, how you put it there. With the, with the emotional beatings, it's because of you is what it feels like, is that it's your fault and you deserve it. I, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to not be perfect. Um, and that I'm gonna screw up. Um, and everyone does that and it's, it's okay and it's normal to, to do things wrong as much as it hurts to do that. Um, that it's, it's human and it's normal to mess up and to not be perfect. It's a way to cope. Um, and I strongly believe it is an addiction just like any other. Um, it's, I stopped cutting because I started drinking and found that that was a different way to cope. And neither of them are healthy, and neither of them really solved the problem. They were just things that I used because I didn't know how else to feel better. Um, and I guess the it doesn't have to be that way. Even if it – and I wouldn't have believed that when I was younger and I started. Like, I would never – 
I would never believe that it it really doesn't have to be that way. Like you don't have to hide and physically hurt yourself to feel better. Um, and that there there really can be freedom and relief out of connection with other people, which again is something I'm still struggling with, but it it is certainly possible and it's more fulfilling and far less shame-filled to actually just connect with other people and work on healthy coping skills rather than using something like alcohol or self-harm to distract from these other things, or in my case, to punish yourself for not being good enough. <laughs> I feel very hypocritical saying this because it's something I still struggle with, but that every person has worth just by being alive, just by existing. A person has worth and a person's life is worth living no matter what has happened to them, and they don't have to prove that to anyone, not even themselves, but it just, it just is. It's a standard thing that if you're human, you have worth, period. For more information and to donate, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. You Don't Fight Alone is sponsored in part by Mentally Chill, an improv team talking about mental illness and how it's so hard but no one likes to bother anyone about it. Be prepared to be bothered. Find them on Facebook.com slash Mentally Chill Improv, Instagram at Mentally Chill Improv, and at Voodoo Comedy beginning this September. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.